to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullick. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fullick. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to disaster recovery, business continuity, COVID, well-being, resilience, crisis management, anything that's relatable to those topics, anything that helps you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. As always, I invite anyone who wants to be a guest to come on the show. Please feel free. Reach out on LinkedIn. I'm the only Alex Fullick there, so I'm really easy to find, and I do respond to everything I get. Today, I am going to be talking with two guests I've been waiting to talk to for a while about an article they published, Articulating Value as a Business Continuity Professional. I know it's going to be a really interesting conversation. I've got a bunch of questions for them. A couple I only came up with before the show, so they don't even know I'm going to ask them yet. But I'd like to welcome to the show, Melina Maneva and Lisa Jones. Welcome. Hi. Thank you for having us. My pleasure. Um, Melina is joining us from the UK, correct? Yes, that's correct. Yep. And Lisa, I know is, uh, I think you're in the same time zone as me, Eastern Standard Time Zone, right? Yes, I am. I'm right outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Actually, you're not that far away. I've driven there in a couple of hours, so you're not that far. Well, let's before we jump into your article and start getting into some of the specifics of what you talked about, can you take a moment to introduce yourselves? Melina, um, we'll start with you because you're the farthest away. Sure. Hi, Alex. Um, can I say I'm just a huge fan of your shows and what you do, and I'm, I'm really pleased to be here and, and speak to you and Lisa about our article, Articulating Value as a Business Continuity Professional. Uh, for those that don't know me, my name is Milena Maneva. I'm based in London, UK, and I'm currently a Business Continuity Management Lead for Country Fitzgerald and BGC Partners. I look after the EMEA region, and I'm also the co-founder of the Resilience Think Tank, along with Lisa uh, Jones, Mark Hoffman, James Green. Most of you know that uh, James is uh, often uh, a, a presenter and speaker at, uh, with, with Alex at Preparing for the Unexpected. And we also have Andreas Bryan, who is also based in the UK. And we have Ashley Guzman, who is based in the States. I'm also on the committee for the Business Continuity Institute, Women in Resilience Group, where we empower, connect, and support women in the resilience industry to become leaders and advance in their careers. I like to think of myself as an ambassador for everything to do with risk and resilience. I was raised in a close proximity to a nuclear power plant, where I became aware of the value of monetary drills as a child. As you can tell from my accent, I was raised in Bulgaria, Russia, and Cyprus. What brought me to the industry, it all started with an incident at a naval base in Cyprus back in 2011, when I was still studying and working as a financial risk officer monitoring electronic trading portfolios. On what should have been a normal working day, it turned out to be anything but normal when a massive explosion from the naval base caused a blackout on the entire island. 
This severe disruption was further compounded by an acute shortage of generators in the country, which made a quick recovery extremely difficult. Many businesses, including my company, experienced continued electricity outages, which lasted for more than two months after that blast. And that's in the middle of a very hot summer. I couldn't believe how unprepared organizations were for such events, and the whole experience helped me to see how important resilience and preparedness is. With that very much in, in the back of my mind, I pursued my master's in risk management and relocated to London, where I learned about business continuity and never looked back. Wonderful. Well, welcome to the show. Lisa, how about yourself? So that's a hard act to follow, but I'll try. Uh, <laughs> so my name is Lisa Jones, and unlike Alex, there are a lot of Lisa Jones on LinkedIn, but feel free to find me on LinkedIn. Um, I, I love to be in contact with and network with individuals who are in this space, as well as anyone who's just interested uh, in business continuity and resilience. Um, just like Melina said, I'm, I'm a co-founder of the Think Tank. Um, I've been in the, in the industry for about no, 14 years, um, mainly in the healthcare insurance and provider space. I worked for an insurance company and then moved to working for a hospital. Um, and recently I've worked in the distribution and manufacturing industry. And now I'm a consultant with the Italian Consulting uh, Company and working on different various projects. So consulting is a new gig for me. So I'm very excited in what I'm doing. Um, I also currently am the president of the BCI USA chapter, as well as a technical uh, leader for the review of the good practice guidelines for BCI. Um, for me, uh, getting into this industry was kind of a fluke and like most of us or some of us uh, we kind of just got Alan told to do it and I started out as an administrative assistant um, it piqued my interest of what the heck was business continuity um, and then just grew into the industry and, and just love the support and the networking that I've been able to that has helped me grow and into the person I am and, and career leader that people think I am, but I truly appreciate it. So um, I am happy to be here with Alex. And Alex, I enjoy all the work that you're doing. So love it. Great. Well, thank you very much for the kind words from both of you. And I'm honored to have both industry leaders, as you say, uh, to, to my show. So I'm quite happy to share this time with you. And thank you very much. Now, let's jump into your article, Articulating Value as a Business Continuity Professional. Um, my first question see, doesn't take long for me to go off script at all. <clears throat> Never does. My, I know we have an agenda, but uh, beforehand I was thinking of a question because I was reading a posting uh, on LinkedIn um, from somebody that I actually don't know uh, yet, but uh, they kind of mentioned with articulating value, and it got me thinking about what you were writing about. Are we trying to articulate the value of the business continuity professional or ourselves or the business continuity industry. What are your thoughts on that? Because I, I found the way this person was writing rather interesting. So I thought I'd reach out and ask you that. Okay. So are we articulating value for ourselves or for the industry? Well, honestly, I will say this is probably both. <laughs> Um, I think as an industry, and, and Melina, you can uh, chime in on this, but I think as an industry, we have gotten lost in the sauce, per se. I will say that, and I'm, I'll be the first to say it. Um, 
we have gotten lost in what truly is business continuity. I think we've allowed other industries to define who we are, maybe even take some of the things that we do and, and call it business continuity. But our true business continuity industry is at a at a tipping point of okay, what are we true? Who are we truly as an industry? I mean, be honest. When you go and tell your family or friend what you do, do you truly have a simplistic definition of what you do? And do people truly understand what you do? And I think that's where we are when we talk about articulated value of the industry. As a person or as a profession or as a practitioner ourselves, it depends on where we fall within an organization and how we can say who we are. And again, it goes back to, you know, we were originally IT people who decided to do business continuity. We are risk people who have decided to do business continuity. And depending on your organization, whether you're reg regulatory or whether you're just a nice to have, um, we have to be able to say to our business, this is who we are. This is the this is the value we're providing and why we are important for you to listen to us. Mm -hmm. Melina, anything for, to add? Yes, uh, I would like to mention that we wrote this article in conjunction to uh, our resilience think tank uh, co-founders. Without them, this article wouldn't have been possible. And the, the reason we wrote it is because Mark Hoffman came to us, um, to all six, uh, five of us, and asked us to contribute and give back to our industry, to um, give back to the profession and to help others articulate their value. Because many, many professionals in, in the business continuity or resilience field struggled to articulate their value and what they do to their employer. So we gathered um, all six of us gathered and we discussed all these important points of what is actually cr crucial and important to, to keep and remember and, and, and obviously bring to our employers and of course bring that value that, that will then um, provide our organization with that resilience. Well, <clears throat> thank you for that. I, I just thought I'd throw that question out there because of that post that I read the other day. So, and knowing that I was going to be talking with the both of you about this and I thought, well, oh, I'm just kind of curious to hear what they'd have to say on that. Well, so I, think, I think it, oh, I was just going to say, I, I just think that's, it, that is the hot topic of the day is um, we're always constantly looking at ourselves to say, where's business continuity in our, and where's business continuity sit in the organization? What is the importance of business continuity? Now we're talking about resilience and operational resilience and organizational resilience. And is there still a need for business continuity? And that's why I think we we have to revisit this topic and, you know, truly put our stake in the ground and say who we are. It's interesting you said that because I get the same feeling that business, con because we're using the word resilience now all the time and operational resilience, and then in other conversations, there's organizational resilience, that some groups are now kind of being, uh, I, I don't want to say pushed to the wayside, but they're kind of getting their name changed almost to, uh, oh yeah, the, these resilience people, but they're actually business continuity people, but business continuity contributes to resilience. So you, it's this kind of a loop that confuses people. Yes. Yep. I think we even confuse ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> I must say there's so many definitions out there that um, 
they make it really hard. Um, a lot of the organizations and institutes are coming with their own kind of definitions of what resilience or, or continuity means and, and how do we define it. And then we are end up with, with the responsibility to translate that to our senior management and executives. What does this mean? You know, everyone knows what cybersecurity is and why we do it. And that gets you through the door. But essentially, how can we explain continuity? Resilience is obviously that buzzword which is widely understood and perhaps that's why we are absorbed in that uh, direction. Mm -hmm. Well, you kind of both touched on something um, because we're going to jump into the article specifics now. Um, I want to start with uh, something that you have in there. BC practitioners or business continuity practitioners should expose themselves to other disciplines. Well, what kind of other disciplines are we talking about? Lisa, Maneva, who wants to go first? So, I, I mean, I will say that there, there are so many different things that um, as professionals, we are exposed to just, just within an organization in general. So we have the opportunity to have that, that 40 foot view of what the organization is and to understand um, the thought process or the culture of an organization. So with that, uh, power, I say, because we, we have that power, we can use various disciplines to address the issues for an organization. Um, I'll give you an example. So as a manufacturing distribution organizations, they tend to th think more crisis management focus. So why not understand the difference between crisis management and business continuity? There are elements that are the same, but there are some very different things that need to be a part of a program when you designing for that type of industry from a healthcare. Mean, sorry, sorry to cut you off. Do you mean instead of getting crisis management to align to what our thoughts of business continuity is, align business continuity to existing crisis management? Is that, is that what you mean? If that fits the program. And I, I, I think, and, and I think that's the other, another thing that we don't talk about or we do talk about is the fact that as, business, as the business continuity industry, we have um, aligned our programs or designed our programs to fit an organization, which we should do anyway. I mean, I think it, it's hard to take stringent, um, it, stringent practices to an organization that, that, let's be for, in all honesty, may not even need half the things that we, we have learned. Um, from our profession. And any way that you can um, show that this can help their organization, why not? So taking things from cybersecurity, taking things from risk management, taking some elements and ideas from crisis management, emergency management to help your organization sustain and be resilient. Um, that's, I think, that's a thing that I think we need to strive to do. Okay. Melina? Yeah, I, I tend to agree with Lisa. Um, we have such a broad perspective of, of, of what, of our uh, business and our industry that we can uh, remove those silos. We can bridge those gaps and we can enable those strategic choices and inform decision making at every level of the organization. And 
what we will notice is a, a lot of what is coming now from the operational resilience uh, policy and requirements, a lot of uh, support is required from us as business continuity professionals to provide the information that we already have and that overview of, of, of everything that each department is doing. And in, for, for example, in the financial services sector, I often work with our technology teams, with our infrastructure teams, with our cybersecurity teams to make sure that we are aligned in how we use the language and, and how we communicate that to our senior management. Because at the end of the day, they're sponsoring the program. We need their buy-in to create that resilience and continuity within uh, what we do. So working with... Um, Everyone in the organization will benefit us. Empowering our people, regardless of their level in the organization, is, um, I guess, it, it, contingent and resilience should be everyone's responsibility. And this is what we should do. It starts with commitment and awareness. It's kind of like all these different groups have a bunch of pieces of a puzzle. And you have to bring them all together to bring all those pieces together and then find out, ah, the picture is a farmyard. And that, group had, that group had the cow, that group had the dog. Yes. And, but you don't know that until you bring them all together and how they exactly. all fit, right? Exactly. Well, on that, we've come to the end of our first segment. We're talking with Lisa Jones and Milena Mineva of the Resilience Think Tank and the authors of Articulating Value as a Business Continuity Professional. We'll be right back. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we are talking with Lisa Jones and Milena Maneva, authors of Articulating Value as a Business Continuity Professional. Uh, great first segment. Lots of uh, good information and comments there. We ended the first segment talking about um, breaking down silos and bringing all these different uh, groups together and being a part of it. So I'm curious to know what your suggestions or thoughts might be on how we go about doing that. It's one thing to say we need to do, but a lot of people are still struggling with how do we do that? Because a lot of managers, leaders, you know, they have their own silos. They have their little mini empires and thou shall not cross you know, into my territory. So, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> so how do we go? What are your suggestions on how we can help um, bring down those walls and get rid of those silos? Yeah. Uh, who wants to go first on this one? I will start with this one because this one is always near and dear to my heart. Um, there are several ways to do it. Um, there's a formal way, which is, you know, go start with sponsorship and buy-in from the top and because they can they they carry the big stick so mm -hmm. they can um you know kind of make it mandatory for others to help you um sometimes that works sometimes it doesn't sometimes you need a, a, a maybe a, even a three-prong approach so not only just having a sponsor and having leadership kind of drive it um you also need to stop start from the bottom up Start with those doers that actually do the job and kind of talk to them. Um, they're always the, they're always wanting to share information, even though they may seem a little timid at first. Um, but 
anytime they're willing to talk to you, take advantage of it. Um, and then the third approach is, just, you know, if you have those two, sometimes the middle person, that middle management, sometimes can also help drive, you know, drive the the breaking down of silos. So an mm-hmm. example I had is that we had we had an organization um, in the insurance company that I was working with, uh, claims. Claims was a very critical process. We know that claims have to be paid or you don't get the money. <laughs> you don't get the I, I remember money. that so, when I did insurance stuff. So yeah, yes, yeah. so if you don't get the money, you're not going to get paid. <laughs> one thing that they talked about, they talked about how, you know, although I would say 80% of the claims were electronic, there was about 20% of claims that came in through the mail. But the mailroom wasn't considered to be critical. And, but no one told the mailroom, no, because no one told the mailroom that they were critical. Um, we were going to lose some of these claims. So just by having that discussion and be able to take that to the mailroom to say, oh, by the way, a uh, claim said this. And you're like, oh, really? We actually need people. I was able to bridge the gap to have that conversation. But if you don't talk about it, then we've never known. We've never known that this thing, uh, these claims, God forbid, if something was to happen, would not have been processed. So it's, it's talking to, you know, getting that buy that, that buy-in from leadership. If it, if it can, if you can. Talking to that the doers who told me, oh yeah, by the way, claims come through the mail. That was that was that was a good catch. And also talking to those managers and bringing them together to say, oh, yeah, by the way, you two are dependent upon each other. Let's find a solution for that. So hmm. you, it, it takes it takes many avenues to kind of get those silos to come down. Melina? Great points, Lisa. Um, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is building relationships. We should build those allies across all departments and we should be able to promote, speak up and sell what we do for our organization. We should also remove any, um, I guess, we should communicate according to the style and culture of our organization. In fact, we should become partner. We can solve issues by, by building those relationships and by shadowing. Perhaps we can, we can work together on different projects. We can resolve some of the challenges that they have. And that's how we can create those allies. And, and I guess sponsors, as, as Lisa mentioned. And, the, and this is what we need to do. What we can do differently is we need to know how to rapidly assess our organization and how to get to the point and understand how we can get those quick wins that, that will definitely be uh, my advice. Yeah. I, I guess taking into account what you both said, it's like uh, going after the people, not going after, I don't mean in a bad way, but uh, approaching the, the people that are receptive to what you do and what we are, we're trying to accomplish. And then those that aren't the, you know, receptive that want to stay in their silos will eventually you know, fall into place, so to speak, because they'll say, hey, how come these other groups are, are better prepared than I am? Shouldn't I be yes. as prepared? And eventually they start coming on board. Oh, I see what you're doing. Oh, how do, we've had that issue for ages and you helped resolve that. Well, I've got an issue. Maybe you could help me, right? And, exactly. And, you know, and I think it's part of what you both said earlier on too is adapting to the organization. And I think, uh, I can't remember my apologies, but one of you actually used the word culture, using that as well to help move things along, right? Because I, th- I think it always first, it'll always come down to the culture. Um, you know, there are some organizations where 
the business continuity professional has to come in and just show that they're non-threatening. Because again, when it comes to the silos, people are very protective of what they do. And they look at you as pointing a finger saying they're doing something wrong. And, and we're not trying to point the finger to that you're doing something wrong. We just want to help you ensure that you can stay in that position that you're in. You know, we want to, we want to ensure that, um, you know, that we are championing for you as well as we're champion for the business continuity program as a whole. There are some organizations where threat tactics can be used. I mean, if, if, if you're a regulated entity, then you can truly point to a regulation and say, we have to make sure that we meet this regulation. And that'll work in some instances, but there it's a 50-50 chance depending upon what kind of organization you're in. I'm in a I'm working in an industry that's not really regulated. So this is a kind of a nice to have, how do we sell this? But if I'm in an industry like financials, we know that there are certain regulations that we have to meet. So it's 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 a non-issue. It's a non issue that we have to argue to have this done. Yeah. Melina, anything to add? And if I may, may add, um, you need to be able to understand the motivation of others to be able to inspire them to strive for their best and help to achieve desired outcomes. Of course, self-confidence is crucial. So without that, we cannot enter a room full of senior stakeholders and influence them to what's the right thing to do, uh, as opposed to a compliance tick box exercise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sadly, that's what I think a lot of people still see business continuity as, a tick box. Do you have a program yes. or do you have a, quote, plan? Oh, good, then you're done. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, it, the plan could contain absolutely nothing of relevance. Yes. <laughs> but you passed the audit. So. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so <clears throat> you mentioned that actually, I think, Lisa, I believe it was you uh, in the first segment, how should we align to our organization? And because you have an interest in, in your uh, article, uh, Milena, Lisa, uh, business continuity planning is not a one-size-fits-all solution. So, and then you talk about um, a lot if we're aligned to a standard or should we be following a standard, which got me thinking of another question that's not in our little agenda here. So I'm just curious, what are your thoughts on standards? Should we follow one or adopt one or take the best of many? Melina, why don't you go first on this one? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And I think it troubles a lot of professionals. But the first question we should ask ourselves is, does this fit our organization? Regardless of the standard we use, or if we're aligned to, let's say, the ISO 2301 or any of the standards for uh, resilience or business continuity, we should ask ourselves, does this fit our organization? Does this um, I guess, align to, to what my organization makes money uh, in and, and, and how can I protect that? What is the risk tolerance for, for, for um, our um, organization as well? And, and do I understand it? Th- these are the, 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 the questions that can, can answer some of the, the, the topics that relate to, to the standards. Lisa? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And I think you need some framework to start with. So regardless of whether standard you may use, whether it's the good practice guidelines from BCI that you're using, whether it's ERI's best practices, you at least need a foundation to start with. And as you uh, adopt that framework or whatever, that framework or that standard, you can 
align it with your organization. Again, there may be pieces within certain frameworks that don't apply and there's no need for you to try to push it through just to have and nice to have, but there are certain things that can, uh, can be a benefit to all organizations. Things like a BIA insurance, because you need a BIA to understand what your program is. You need to know, you know, what is the, what is those key critical things that an organization wants to protect? You need to understand if those are the key things that are need to be protected. What is the data that is uh, connected or dependent upon those things? So you do need some type of framework. I'm not against a standard. I think standards help kind of design your program, but ultimately you need to align, again, align that program, that standard to your program, take out things that don't work, adopt those things that do. Uh, I agree with you both. I, I think um, standards are created be, usually because uh, what came before it was missing something, had a hole in it. So yes. a new standard comes out and then another one comes out to address uh, something that came before it in a different way. So I think different standards and guidelines that are out there can all be beneficial. Uh, I'm not totally sold on the idea of following one and one only because of one of the other things that you mentioned earlier, the culture. Right. You know, if we're not built to do a six-month BIA project, why are we doing it when I can do get the same information a different way? It's just not called a BIA. You know, exactly. Yeah. If that works in our organization and we still get the same result, well, then why do I need to follow what's in a standard, right? Yeah. And I also think that we have a tendency, to, um, you know, and, and I could be one of those people. I don't think I am. But <laughs> you can call me on it. But we have a tendency to tell people they're wrong when they're doing something. Everyone, every program is, again, is different. And just because I may do a six month BIA doesn't mean that I'm wrong. For, because you do a two-week BIA, it, we're all, again, still getting the same results, still getting the information that we need. There are many flavors of how to do things. Just adopting the right flavor that works for your organization is key. Kalina, anything and if I may add, yes, um, I guess business continuity professionals should not be afraid to think outside of the box and review and reshape their program. It always baffled me that uh, when a new person joins the team, they're told to do exactly what was done 5, 10, 20 years ago, and then they keep exactly the same process without deviating, even though our organization and the environment we are in continuously evolves. So it's, it's really strange to me that we're not allowing even our own team members to actually um, think outside of the box and, 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 and experiment of, of what actually works for our organization. Mm -hmm. If you do the same thing over and over, you'll get the same results over and over. Meanwhile, your organization is changing, it's growing, it may have new products and services. Well, if you're doing the same thing and not adapting to the organization, you are distancing yourself. You know, exactly. and what you do, and people will see less and less relevance in what you're doing. And that's what and that's what COVID did. COVID changed the way we look at our data. COVID has changed the way that we look at processes companies had to pivot in what their critical processes were before COVID and things that they thought weren't critical or the way they did things, they literally had to change. So this is the time to say, okay, well, I guess anything and everything is fair game at this point. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, it told us, you know, what we thought was critical might not have been. 
And what was critical, you know, we have to keep doing. And things that we didn't even give a second thought to all of a sudden was a little piece of glue that held all these different pieces together. Suddenly it's up the priority list. So true. Oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> it, it sounds a little bit uh, too that the business continuity professional is kind of a uh, reflection of the culture of the organization. You have to adapt to what your leadership is uh, expecting and where they're going. And you have to try and bring all these different, let's, for lack of a better term, the, the plans on all the things you work on with that. And they have to change and adapt. And the business continuity professional is the person that helps make all that happen, brings all that people together, is the, the person that does all the networking, you know, to bring all the pieces together, right? Oh, definitely. I mean, we, again, we look at every business function. We, we do these BIAs to kind of get to understand the relationship of how that, um, how, how this thing works within an organization. We talk to so many different people, whether it's like you said, the cybersecurity department or, you know, or IT, the human resources, crisis communication, and then just the doers, whatever those processes, the people that make the widgets. We, <laughs> we yeah. have access to all those things. And um, our job is to really take all that information, consolidate it in a way that could be digestible, digestible to our, our leadership. So it, it's important to understand, you know, have those skills that be able to do that. Now, I will say, and I think I'm, I don't know if I said this in the article, but sometimes we are not always, the, maybe we may not be the spokesperson, but we need to provide that information to the spokesperson. Sometimes I think business continuity professionals, um, we fall short because we, we may not be able to deliver the data that we should. And we always think that we, we're the ones, we should do it. And sometimes it's better to come from someone else. Because again, we don't own anything. We are we just help with the maintenance. We help provide the information. We don't own the program. It's ultimately mm -hmm. it should ultimately be the organization that owns it. I like saying we're the steward. Exactly. Melina, do you have any anything to uh, add to that? Uh, I definitely agree. We can we can definitely get sponsors and gain, uh, I guess, um, followers that can get, that can vouch for us, that can influence others uh, in that big room. And we should not be afraid to remodel the plans. Um, we, we, we should look at it, um, all of our plans and question this. Um, is it still relevant? And can we can we do something better? If it's not used as a plan and if it's not understood by the business, what's the purpose of it? Mm -hmm. And it's all about those conversations and, and, and about what senior management um, wants and, and, and sees in the strategic view. And, and we are there to assist with that. Because I've been told that during uh, the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, a lot of uh, business continuity professionals were not consulted. And, and that really surprised me because we had the most relevant information. And, and, and if it wasn't relevant, then it was um, we, we could have sourced it very, very quickly, uh, as opposed to them restarting the whole process and, and spending maybe weeks to find out what's actually critical. How many people do we need to, to, to work remotely or can they work remotely at all? And what, what's really crucial? Um, so it, it's important to, to, to gain those uh, sponsors and supporters, as Lisa mentioned. I agree. 
On that note, we've come to the end of our second segment. We are talking with Milena Maneva and Lisa Jones, authors of Articulating Value as a Business Continuity Professional. And we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today, we are talking with Lisa Jones and Milena Maneva, authors of Articulating Value as a Business Continuity Professional. Great first and second segments. Lots of good information that you're sharing with us. Uh, I really appreciate it. One of the things that uh, I pulled out of your article that uh, I liked, and I was hoping you could uh, explain this a little further, is tie our actions to risks raised by the organization. Exactly what did you mean by that? And how do we go about doing that? Who would like to go first on that one? Melina, you should go first on that one. Okay. Sure, sure. Um, it is definitely a very uh, difficult question because it really depends on how um, risk is perceived by the organization. But in, in our case, I often refer to risk as the enterprise risk management department, which raises all those key risks that um, lie within each of the departments. And um, they're, they're raised for all the uh, risk champions, as they call them, um, to call out any of the issues that they face and, and obviously any of the remediations that they can propose to actually resolve these. So there are a lot of, um, I guess, sessions that are brought by the risk teams to the senior management execs by highlighting all of these risks. Now we can leverage off of that. We can use these risks in our planning and we can say, well, you mentioned this is very uh, critical risk for you and, and this is a remediation for you does this answer or is it aligned to the information captured in our plans you know in our BIAs or in our uh, business continuity plans and we should question that and add it uh, just to make them think uh, outside of the box and, and, and align to what is actually important. They've presented this risk to, to, to the board and, and obviously the board is looking for um, a solution. Sometimes the solution may never come, you know, after two years, this risk will still appear as, as, as uh, you know, amber or red, but essentially they'll say, well, actually this is no longer needed. We've replaced this you know, process or we replaced this issue and, and et cetera with the evolving technology, or this is too expensive to, to, to cover. And then they think of solutions and we can help them. We can, we can challenge them with adding these risks in our planning uh, sessions. And when an incident occurs, we can always reference this back and say, well, have you considered this? And these are the sort of discussions that uh, we meant when we wrote this. Lisa? And, yeah, and I would just add that um, if your organization doesn't have an enterprise risk department, which there's... There's surprisingly companies that still don't have those things. Um, you kind of got to be an uh, investigator and be curious. So when you look at those critical processes, when you, when you look at financials or reports that come out, even at an all-hands meeting, the things that, that executives talk about are those things that they want to protect. So if they're constantly talking about you know, our mission statement, what within that mission statement, if we couldn't do it, 
that's considered, that's how you find out what the risk is. So if I say, again, we'll go back to an insurance company. If we say that we can't pay these claims, okay, so that's a big risk. What are those things that could cause us not to pay our claims? It could be we didn't get those mail, the mail from the mail room. We didn't, our technology can go down. You know, there could be a myriad of things. Those are things that are considered the risk. So you have to kind of look at those those big ticket uh, financial, just those things that are near and dear to to executive leadership's heart, and try to dis- uncover what those risks could possibly be if those things could not be done. Just to continue on with that claims example, I remember um, one of the items, uh, big issues, big ticket financial issues was what if we can't print those checks to, uh, out to people and to, I don't know, I've never heard, come across anybody yet who's been able to uh, resolve that issue with uh, uh, insurance companies because nobody wants to pay a million dollars for some of these special printers out there <laughs> just sit there and collect dust. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And also thinking about, um, and just a, just a real quick, just mm-hmm. what is the risk tolerance for your organization? If they're risk adverse, then everything is going to be, uh, you're going to have to need backups for the backups. But if you're, you know, like my husband says, my my husband always says I'm risk adverse because I never want to do anything. I just look at the price and I'm like, nah, we don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> You, you, um, you both mentioned uh, like risk groups and things like that. Uh, from experience, I know that uh, some many organizations, and to your points, uh, not everybody does, they ha- will have a, a risk committee or a risk group that meets every month or you know, quarterly or something like that. But the information and the kind of risks that they look at don't ever seem to make their way to business continuity to even be a part of that because the material is not for wide distribution. So how can you overcome that hurdle? I know we talked about breaking down silos, but this is a little bit different because some of these risk committee people, they're the CFOs, the president, you know, some very high level people that are sitting in these meetings. So how do you get your hands on that information to even know they have a specific risk or two or three identified that we might be able to help address. Yeah, and I think it goes back to what Melina said about building those relationships. Um, If we can't get to the head table, I'm sure there's smaller tables that we can get to (laughs) that may have that information. And then if we can't, if they don't have the information, again, it goes back to, you know, we can, uh, I'm not, for lack of a better term, maybe those dog whistle things that they talk about and easily uh, negate you to what that risk could possibly be. Mm-hmm. If I may add, um, it, it's definitely very important to seek a seat at that table, um, regardless of the seniority um, present in, in those board meetings or, or steering committees or groups. It's very important for you as a business community professional to be informed of, of the risks of your organization and in fact, suggest remediation and say, well, actually, you consider this a risk, but, you know, this department said that they've resolved this, you know, two months ago, or they're no longer um, at risk with this. So maybe you need to speak to this uh, person and, and, again, bridge those relationships, uh, connect people together so they can find a solution. Um, I, I wanted to mention an example that when I worked for an organization that was uh, certified with the ISO 2201, um, 
auditors were often, often interested in seeing risk assessments. And a lot of the times, these risk assessments are not done by business continuity professionals, but for some reason, auditors are so interested in seeing these. So you can create one of those for your um, for your department and, and, and think, how would I answer the questions that the risk team is asking or, or what, what are these risk assessments that the auditors are looking for? Because some of these questions can help you to answer a lot of the other uh, planning questions that you have in your BIA. It's interesting you mentioned audit <clears throat> with the risk assessments because business continuity is often seen as a tick box exercise or something along those lines. How do you get audit to actually understand what it is you do without them doing an internet search? Because I can guarantee you've probably both run into this where an auditor will come along, you must have this, 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 and you know they just read a website somewhere. <laughs> you know, and I'm not knocking auditors, you know, they, they can't know everything that's going on, you know, and, and they're good at what they do. They keep us honest. But how do you get audit on board to kind of understand that same thing that you just kind of described? I guess as business continuity professionals, we have that uh, availability of data. We understand our organization better than, than anyone really. Um, and we can present those top critical findings. What is actually important to us? Yes, you've read this on our website, but actually this is what we consider important. And we can evidence that either with a policy or a short document summary, which, which says, well, this is what's actually important to us. Mm. We, are, we, we care about our um, product services, you know, our buildings, our people, and this is what we consider important. And when you present that to, to the auditor, then they will structure their audit in a different way. And again, that's, again, tick box exercise, but they will follow your lead on, based on the information you present to them. Mm. Lisa, do you have anything to add to that? I would just definitely agree with that. I mean, if we, if we, if we don't introduce ourselves and, and explain what we do, then we will always be uh, misrepresented <laughs> in, in, in what we and what we are trying to achieve. So we, we need to be ready to provide an overview of our program to anyone and everyone that will listen. Believe it or not, we only have three, min three minutes left. Would you both like to have some final thoughts? Yeah, take a minute and a half each. Um, let's see. Uh, we'll go with Lisa first on this one. Uh, uh, take a minute with any final comments. Um, I would just say to all of our professionals, just be encouraged in what you do. I mean, we, we do provide value as professionals, and we need to own that. You know, don't be afraid to be curious about your organization. Don't be afraid to ask questions push back on some things sometimes, but also kind of accept the final result and allow the organization to kind of mull it over. Um, but don't feel like you're being, um, you know, take that, take that, 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 take your role as being just a provider of information that you're here to help them achieve the things that they want to achieve. Melina. I often like to say that we should question our assumptions and we should remember that strong leadership is crucial. We should be that trusted partner that um, our business needs. We should be able to communicate regardless of, of the language within our organization. We should align to, to the way that our business communicates 
and we should challenge that status quo. We should lead through change, disruption and uncertainty. And we should not be afraid to, um, I guess, voice our concerns. We're passionate after all uh, in what we do. So we, we can evidence that by the work we, we've achieved and, and done. So this, this is all about articulating that value. Uh, I agree with the comment on assumptions. It's unbelievable how many assumptions are out there in any organization, any program, that are never captured, and when they are captured, are never addressed. And everyone ends up going in their same yes. direction. <laughs> That's what COVID did. It showed us that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it did. <laughs> Milena, Lisa, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, talk with me today. And uh, congratulations on this article, Articulating Value as a Business Continuity Professional. I know it uh, was a hit by, uh, with many professionals. And uh, I know um, you have a lot of people talking to you, and I'm really happy that uh, you're both part of the Resilience Think Tank. Uh, you know, so I, I really appreciate your time and expertise uh, here today. It's been wonderful talking to you and finally meeting you after so many emails back and forth and seeing postings everywhere, and now I finally get to talk to you. Well, hopefully we'll be able to meet in person one day. <laughs> ah, that's the dream, isn't it? That's, that's the dream. dream. Yes. <laughs> Well, thank you, Milena. Thank you, Lisa. I really appreciate it. And everybody watching and listening, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.